Hello, welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. I'm joined again by Johnny, who is very tired and therefore might um, say things that he doesn't mean to. And, uh, <laughs> and by Matt, uh, who will be leading us today through our discussion of lasers. So uh, we're going to do the basics of lasers today. We're going to talk a little bit about what uh, the history of lasers, where they come from, and what they're used for. But before we get into that, a real quick addendum on our last podcast, which was terraforming. If you haven't listened, go back and grab that one. Um, we talked about bombing Mars. And it turns out, after our podcast, I was doing a little uh, digging, a little more digging into what, the stuff that we talked about. Elon Musk had the exact same idea that I had of bombing Mars uh, two years prior, independent of my, uh, you know, my coming to this conclusion that we needed to bomb Mars. Uh, Mr. Musk also uh, said that we should nuke. Well, his idea was to nuke the polar ice caps, or the polar caps of Mars. Um, anyway, I just wanted to point out that he and I have similarities, and therefore... Yeah. Did what, he also suggest testing out that process on Earth first? <laughs> that was not my idea. Thank you. That was oh, Tim. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, anyway, so that um, I, this builds up my credentials, maybe, or potentially, um, hopefully... So uh, we'll move on from Mr. Elon Musk and our similarities, and we'll move back to lasers. So uh, first of all, most importantly, we'll uh, I wanted to give you the definition of laser because I it's one of those words that you're not entirely sure, or, or I at least wasn't aware, that it actually is an acronym. Um, it is uh, an acronym for light amplification by stimula stimulated emission of radiation. Uh, so that is where the word laser comes from, and Matt's going to tell us a little bit more about the uh, the, well, the history, the, the, the where lasers come from. Yeah, starting starting with the history of lasers, lasers, the first functional laser of the type that we have today was operated in 1960, but the science and the theory that goes behind it. That came some years earlier, of, of course, uh, starting in 1917, Albert Einstein published a paper uh, on the quantum theory of radiation, and it was, uh, it was basically a reassessment, not a reassessment, a re-derivation of Planck's law of radiation. Anyway, it's, it's neat, but it, it lays the foundation, the scientific, the, the physics behind what you need to operate a laser to get that light amplified stimulation for radiation. Development went on over the next few decades. Uh, you had work on it through the 1950s to try to get this kind of uh, principle in practice. And finally, in 1960, they did. They built a device that was able to actually operate. And the, the first person to do this was a man named Theodore H. Maiman, or, or rather he was the first operator of a functioning laser. And this was at Hughes Research Labs in Malibu in California. And at the time, much of the wider world kind of looked at it and said, okay, well, you've got this cool little light beam, and I guess this is maybe 
the fulfillment of these goofy sci-fi comics that we have running around. But what are you actually going to do with this? What practical application does this have? And over the subsequent decades, you find that lasers are now ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're in everything. They're applied in fields ranging from the medical to the scientific to uh, the hobbyists at home, uh, communications, just everywhere you look inside your DVD or your Blu-ray player, if you still have such a device, you'll find lasers in there. Uh, but that, that's kind of the history. Lasers are a relatively recent invention as far as, uh, you know, inventions go. It's crazy to me that Einstein had his finger in essentially all of the things. Uh, Einstein like, was great. Smart yeah. dude. People today, even now, recognize him as being a fairly intelligent fellow. <laughs> Yes. So, but what you really find people, is that people always call me Einstein. They're like, "Way to go, Einstein!" Yeah. <laughs> like, That's wow. How... Thank you so much for putting me in that boat with him. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since you're a doctor now and operating on. Well, never mind. <laughs> uh, what what it really gets down to, though, is is as Einstein is writing his papers, I, I don't believe he would have been envisioning laser beams. Uh, decades later but what it really comes down to is that the fundamentals of physics uh, i mean those are the underpinnings of all the inventions that we have and when you truly understand those physical fundamentals and how to apply and manipulate them well you can do all kinds of fun things including laser and so that's what uh, we humanity has done we have Built laser, which, as you mentioned, stands for um, light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. So let's talk about what that means and how a laser actually works. Uh, when we talk about light amplification, we're talking about making light brighter, more intense, more powerful, more bigger. And the mechanism that we use to do that is this stimulated emission, which means emission driven by some other source uh, that causes that light amplification. Uh, and when we say of radiation, of course, we mean of light, of electromagnetic radiation. And you can find lasers that are, well, you can, most people are familiar with visible light lasers because they produce a visible laser beam, a beam that you can see. But you have lasers that operate in all, all portions of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, you have infrared lasers, you have ultraviolet lasers, you have X-ray lasers. Theoretically, you should be able to build a gamma ray laser, although that one is difficult. But uh, all of these are radiation, uh, electromagnetic radiation, and it's all artificially or rather externally stimulated, and it all results in the amplification of that radiation, generally visible light. Did you have a question or comment? Uh, no, but I was going to comment like the um, I don't. So you, you just said essentially you can create uh, lasers across the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, are, were, was that, the, I assume the first lasers were, that the original ones were just created 
for visible light and, and then they broadened out from there well i i'm not actually sure what the very first um the very first lasers were okay. uh in fact well early on you had uh you you had a device called a maser which was a microwave uh the same acronym after that rather than light amplified it was microwave amplified and it just uses a lower frequency portion of the electromagnetic spectrum highly focused microwave beam uh, using radio waves essentially um and 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 they were building those uh, earlier but yeah the first functioning laser which implies frequencies around or above the visible light spectrum that that came in in 1969 like i said i don't know exactly what band that would have been in whether it would have been okay. red green blue ultraviolet infrared or what sure but it would have been somewhere up in that uh chunk of so the spectrum maser that's not a, a, a and, and granted i'm not technical which is why this podcast is what it is but I, that's not something i'm at all familiar with where lasers are do uh is laser has that kind of become the generic term for all uh types of stimulated emission of radiation even if it's not visible light well no i, I mean okay. it, it's kind of become the generic term for anything that is infrared or higher in terms okay. of in, in uh, frequency so uh, infrared visible light ultraviolet x-ray gamma ray all anything really really high frequency radiation that would be that kind of falls in the laser bucket even though you could argue that an x-ray laser is not really a laser at all because you know it's x-rays uh, now masers are lower frequency um we're, when we talk microwave we're talking things that are measured in gigahertz which is uh, much 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 lower frequencies than you have for visible light um and and what do you do with a maser well tune in next time for that podcast i guess <laughs> uh, but we're we're kind of focusing on lasers right now and that's the one that most people are familiar with because that's the one that you find in your house all over the place but let's let's go into kind of what we mean by light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Um, a very simplistic way to think of a laser is the when we talk about the amplification, uh, we're all familiar with audio amplification. In in any time you've had that horrible feedback loop when you point your speakers directly at a microphone and you suddenly get this horrible high-pitched high-pitched screechy noise well what you're getting is massive amplification of those sound waves they those sound waves are generated by your speakers they go into your microphone they go back through your computer and sound card where they're amplified they're chucked out your speakers at a higher volume back into your microphone, back into your computer where they are amplified again in a nearly instantaneous cycle where suddenly you get a massive amplitude of sound that manifests as your speakers screaming at you. 
Well, you can do kind of, sort of, the same thing with light. You can create a feedback loop where you get amplified light, just like you can get amplified sound. The method that you use to get that amplified light is that stimulated emission part. Uh, so how a laser generally works is you have something called a gain medium. This is the thing that you use to amplify your light. And your gain medium can be uh, any number of things. It can be a gas, it can be a solid, it can be a liquid, it can be a plasma, it can be whatever. And different gain media will give you different types of lasers. And with that, you have your external source of power that you hook up to it, your, your external source of stimulation, I guess. Uh, and typically, it's it's something like a, a basic light or, or an, an electrical current, something like that. Uh, but what you do is you, you move energy from that external source into your gain medium. And through the wonders of laserness, that gain medium will end up spitting out a whole bunch of photons, little, little bits of light, little light packets. And those photons will be all aligned with each other. They'll all be at the same frequency. They'll all be in the same orientation or polarization. They'll all be within phase or, or rather with a constant phase relationship to each other. Uh, that's a technical term that you don't need to worry about. The big thing is you'll end up having a bunch of photons that are what we term coherent. They match each other in terms of the light that they represent. At that point, you can you can focus it, you can align all of that light together so it's all going in the same direction, and that results in a laser beam. And we'll talk about all of the different parts of that. Uh, but but let's let's go back into that stimulated emission. I, I glossed over it with the term through the magic of laserness. Well, that magic is is actually that's the key of what makes a laser a laser. Uh, within your gain medium, your, your gain medium being generally made of some sort of physical matter rather than wishes and dreams, it will have atoms. It, and those atoms will have a nucleus and a bunch of electrons floating around them and so on and so forth, as all matter does. Well, depending on the gain medium you have selected, those electrons zipping around those atoms will be in different energy states. And you can select a medium that is very susceptible to receiving additional energy and moving those electrons from one state to another. And those th that change in energy state, all of that will come with a very specific amount of energy required to affect that change. Uh, for example, a ruby crystal. Uh, again, a ruby is a physical object, therefore it is made of atoms. Those atoms have nuclei and electrons. Um, those electrons within that ruby crystal will absorb 
radi uh, will absorb very specific energy levels that will move the electrons from a low state to a highly excited state. And that amount of energy, whatever it is, when, when that gets pumped into that ruby crystal, you'll see those, those bits of energy absorbed. And then, because of the way atoms work, the, the, you'll, you'll get those electrons excited to that higher state, and then they will very soon start to decay back to that lower state. And here's where the magic of laserness comes in. When the electrons in those ruby crystal atoms decay from their highly excited state to their non-excited state, they change energy, they drop energy. And because energy cannot be created nor destroyed, the atom has to give up something to have that energy drop happen. And the something that it gives up is a photon of light. And it checks that light off into the void within that ruby crystal. Uh, now here's where the magic happens. That newly emitted photon is at the that chunk of light is at a frequency that is dictated by the energy change needed to raise that electron from one level to another and in a ruby crystal that wavelength of light that corresponds to that energy bit happens to be red and so it will emit a red photon and as that red photon travels throughout the, the remainder of that ruby crystal, it will pass other excited uh, ruby atoms. And as it passes them, because of, of, of the deep magic that I will freely admit I don't fully understand, but as it passes those other excited ruby atoms, it will stimulate them, there's that key word, to release their own photons, which will again perfectly match that energy level. They will be red. And because photons are super creepy, um, they, they all like to be exactly like each other. So if I have one atom, if I have two atoms next to each other, A and B, they both have an excited electron. A releases a photon first and the photon passes atom b it stimulates atom b to drop its own photon when that happens both photons from a and b b will release its photon to perfectly match the photon from a in both phase and wavelength and everything else and direction is this like some of that quantum physics creepy weirdness yeah this is the deep magic okay. um but but that's the key they will match in direction as well and so and and as those two photons start zipping through that crystal well they're going to pass other atoms stimulate them to drop their own photons and suddenly you have a whole horde of photons of red light all moving in the same direction and that's what you that's how you get that light amplification by stimulated emission. Uh, you, you, you put a bunch of energy into this crystal. That energy will raise the electron levels of some of those atoms. Uh, those atoms will start to release photons of red light, and 
those photons will in turn trigger the release of additional photons that will match in amplitude and frequency and direction, and they will become coherent. And very quickly, you get coherent light zipping around inside this crystal. Well, that's cool. If I really want to make a glow-in-the-dark ruby night light, um, that's how you do it. Great. Um, the way that you get a, a functional laser out of it is to shape that thing into a cylinder and coat both ends with a mirrored surface. And what you would have then is, is the, the core to your laser. All of that light that is now zipping around inside that crystal, that coherent light, some of it's going to bleed out the, the cylindrical surfaces, the curved surfaces of that cylinder. But any of the light that's going out the ends is now going to start hitting those mirrors. And it's going to bounce back and forth between those mirrors, trapped in there, continuously amplifying the light levels inside that ruby. And suddenly you're going to have, just like your speaker is con uh, and, and your, your microphone are continuously looping an audio signal until it's unbearably strong, so very quickly you're going to get streams of coherent light bouncing from one end of this ruby cylinder to the other and amplifying themselves by triggering the release of additional photons from excited ruby atoms and suddenly you're going to have phenomenal amounts of light all heading in the same direction feeding itself by triggering the release of even more light with inside that crystal and that's great if you want to just pump a ruby crystal up so full of light that it eventually melts i guess i don't know so how do you get a beam out of that is that a rhetorical question that's the question for the for the day. That's the question that you had to solve. You've now basically got light trapped inside this ruby. Well, that's neat. What do you do to get it out? Uh, I have some... an idea. Yes, Johnny. I have no idea if this is right. But what if you had so you have the mirrors on both sides of the of the cylinder. Yep. But what if one of the mirrors had a small opening? So it reflected most of the light but allowed some of it to pass out and so turns out that is exactly what you do sweet put a little pinhole that's, in that's the why center they pay johnny the big bucks yep you put a <laughs> pinhole in the center of one of the mirrors and that's your laser beam um and there you go the other thing that you can do is you can make one of the mirrors perfectly reflective and you can make the other mirror 90 percent reflective and so it will constantly bleed out 10% of the, the light from one end. Uh, and again, this light is 90% of that light is going to be bouncing back and forth and amplifying itself. That 10% is going to become a very large amount of light very quickly. So th those are kind of the two ways that you can do that. Now, the other thing that is kind of a characteristic of lasers is you know, you turn on a flashlight, you get a big broad beam. You turn on a laser and you get a little tiny dot. The laser beam is very, very narrowly focused. Uh, that is a function, that can be a function of a number of things, uh, but that focus is called collimation. 
collimation is the property where all of those all of the rays of light the path of travel of those photons are all perfectly parallel they stay in a very tight little cylinder of light uh, spanning off into infinity now no laser can be perfectly collimated uh, a laser beam if you point uh, a little laser pointer at your hand six inches away from the tip of the laser pointer, you'll notice a very small dot of light. If you point it at the opposite wall of the room you're sitting in, you'll notice that that dot is considerably bigger. The laser does spread out and diffuse a little bit. Ref the, the laws of refraction say that that has to happen. But there are some tricks that you can do to keep a very tightly collimated beam at a very long distance, uh, precision lenses will keep the laser beam very tightly focused. And the reason that that is important is, it, well, it depends on your application. Sometimes you want a, a diffuse beam, um, but most of the time when you're dealing with laser, you want a very tightly focused beam. And, and the reason is the, the tighter the beam focus, the more energy that you're putting on that point. Uh, and that all comes down to a, the, the application. But those are some of the characteristics that you have that make a laser a laser. You have light being amplified in some kind of gain medium. Uh, you, you have the mechanism of stimulated emission as photons pull other photons out of excited atoms, all matching in frequency, and phase potentially, and uh, polarization and direction, and and then exiting through a, a mirror or, or or something such as that out into space in a very tightly focused, reasonably collimated beam. So, question about the medium. Yeah. Um, so there are various mediums that you can use. I'd imagine that there are specific mediums that are uh, essentially the, the best for creating a, a high powerfully high power laser beams essentially the ones that uh, will emit the, the most photons given a certain amount of energy input yes uh, absolutely and that really goes into the the chemistry of the different media um, you have all different types of media I, I mentioned the ruby crystal as an example that's just one type of of gain medium for laser. Uh, various gases, uh, helium neon lasers are a popular thing. Um, sapphires, uh, you have all these elements that you can combine. Um, titanium doped exotic minerals produce different uh, types of things. In fact, you can even get a, a laser that emits multiple frequencies by doing some crazy stuff with titanium. Um, but all of those media, wh whatever one you choose, they employ those basic mechanisms of amplifying light through that stimulated emission process. Now, the medium that you choose directly corresponds to what type of light you're going to get out of it. Uh, and it has to do with how I mentioned the atoms in that ruby the the outer electrons they take a very specific energy level to be excited from one stage or, or from one level to another 
And when they drop from that excited level back down, uh, that corresponding drop in energy uh, yields a red photon. That's just what you get with ruby. If you have some other medium like helium neon, you get a different energy level that corresponds to a different wavelength of emitted photon. You get blue, you get green, you get um, ultraviolet, you get X-ray based on whatever medium you select. And and you can then tune it so that your laser beam has the properties you want based on that medium. Mediums react differently to the fact that a ton of energy is is stuck in them. You don't want a medium that's going to, you know, melt. So, I mean, that's a factor as well. It has to put up with the stresses that come with all of that energy running around in there. So I, I guess my, my other question then is essentially, so I, we're about to talk about the different, you know, uses for lasers right now that, that in, in kind of the, in the world. Uh, but is the choice of medium uh, dependent on the, um, the application? Like, so if I'm trying to create a laser that will cut things, I need a specific medium that can take a high energy input in order to not, you know, not melt and still be able to create this laser beam that will be so focused that it's cutting through metal or whatever. Uh, or or is, that a, is that a question of how much energy is being input into the, this medium? So uh, if I have the same medium, can I put different amounts of energy into it to increase the laser intensity, or is that a question of the medium as well? Yeah, I, I would say it's related. Um, different media are, are definitely used for different things. And yeah, there are limits to what you can do with power levels. Um, and, and, you know, the power systems behind a laser are a whole separate topic that uh, I'll admit I'm, I, I'm very much a layman uh, in, in that regard, I, I couldn't talk particularly intelligently to that other than to say, yes, the medium that you select is related both to your application and to the power that you want out of it. And, and well, I mean, the application is related to the power you want out of it as well. Sure. Uh, for example, when we talk laser eye surgery, we're literally firing a laser into your eyeball to weld or cut tissues. Uh, if you want to repair a detached cornea, you're welding a cornea. Well, in order to do that, you need to pass through several other layers of eyeball in order to get to the tissues that are going to need welding. And it would be best if you did not vaporize those layers of tissue, because that would be the worst thing I can imagine. Can we confirm, uh, Johnny, is that true? You know, the general idea is that that is true. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you heard it. That's going to be on a T-shirt. Don't laser your eyeballs or something. I don't know. Um, and at the Dr. same John. time, you want that laser beam to, you do want it to react to those corneal tissues so that they can make the welds and the repairs. And so how do you do that? You got to get the laser to pass through some stuff without reacting with it and then when it hits those corneal tissues to dump all of that high-powered laser light energy into those tissues so that they melt together 
well, it turns out you choose the wavelength of light. And some of those tissues will absorb that light, and some of them will let that light pass right on through it. Uh, and I, I don't know what wavelength they use when you're uh, repairing an eye, you know, green or something, who knows. Uh, but you choose a wavelength of light such that the laser beam will go right through those outer tissues that are delicate that you want to protect and only react when it hits the cornea and weld it in place. Um, now, if I want to do something like, uh, you know, industrial cutting, I'm, I'm concerned about getting a whole boatload of energy at a point very quickly so that I can, you know, chop through my metal or glass or whatever it is that I'm cutting. And I'm going to have different criteria for what medium I choose and how much or, and, and how I power it and, and what medium I can choose based on what power it can receive and, and all of these different things. Um, but yeah, getting back to your original question, the medium that you select is definitely a function of the application. What, do, what does my light need to go through and react with, as well as what mediums can I use if I'm dealing with different magnitudes of power? You know, to weld an eyeball together, that's not a lot of power at all. Uh, to punch through steel plate in an industrial cutter, that's significantly more. And so you're going to use different types of lasers potentially for those different applications. Okay. So, so I, I have a question, Matt. Yes. How does this relate to frying ants with a magnifying glass? So it turns out that it kind of doesn't, other than to illustrate that light itself is a, can be used to deposit a large amount of energy on something. When you focus... When you focus sunlight through a magnifying glass to murder insects, um, what you're doing is concentrating light at a point. But that light isn't necessarily coherent, and it's not necessarily collimated. In fact, it's focused. The, the light converges to a point. It doesn't. It's not moving in parallel. But it does show that light, it being energy, when you put a lot of energy on a single innocent ant, that ant will combust because there's so much energy deposited on its innocent little skin uh, that that point on its, its skin will become, as it absorbs energy, the atoms in that you know, in that ant are excited. That is what heat is. It's it's the excitement and motion of atoms and molecules. And so that energy becomes translated to motion in in molecules, oscillations becomes translated to heat, which then translates to a funeral pyre for that little ant. You murder <laughs> Now, personally, I have no problem. Not that I've ever tried it, okay? Yeah, no, no, I, I'm, I have no problem with this because bugs are bugs and I hate them. Um, with a laser, when depending on your application, you're looking at doing the same type of thing in terms of depositing a large amount of energy onto a single point. 
The difference is that a laser allows you to very efficiently put a lot of energy somewhere. Um, and it's through that process of amplifying the light in on itself, uh, generating that amplification through that stimulated emission reaction and, and so forth. Now, there, there's a number of applications for, for lasers, and not all of them have to do with creating heat energy. Sometimes it's just creating a, a very focused beam of light that can be read or received or viewed at a distance. And, and sometimes the distance is the distance from you know, your handheld barcode scanner to the gallon of milk that you're purchasing. Uh, that scanner uses a laser to illuminate the barcode and then there is an optical sensor within that barcode scanner that looks at the light coming back and you know the laser creates an equal lighting condition for everything for the the white bars and the black bars and it can very quickly determine what that barcode is and then figure out how much to charge you for your gallon of milk uh other applications that we've talked about obviously include cutting um there is the cat distraction application. That's its own separate podcast. Um, one of them that is that has some significant uh, implications for technology these days is laser communications. If you think about old like ships, old old naval ships that would uh, use signal lamps and, uh, to communicate. You know, you'd have a, a very bright light and you'd have a shutter over it and you would open and close the shutter using Morse code or something to transmit messages. Uh, the U.S. Navy did this a lot, you know, during during World War II and, and other times. You couldn't risk radio communication because that could be intercepted and picked up. But for very short distance communication, you could use these signal lamps and you could signal from one ship to another using Morse code. Well, it turns out you can do the exact same thing with a laser, and you can do it at much, 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 much farther differences. You can communicate with satellites with a laser terminal, um, just blinking your laser on and off using you know, Morse code or whatever code you feel like using. And you can communicate. You can do that very quickly. You can uh, switch a laser on and off uh, bazillions of times a second and the faster you do that the more data you can transmit so you can get very very high data rates with a laser communications device uh, which is pretty cool w w one of the other ones that has come up lately is additive manufacturing or 3d printing um, in fact sitting here at my desk i have a 3d printer that uses a laser to harden layers of photosensitive resin one you know 40th of a millimeter at a time and build up a 3d printed structure using a green laser and a re and a resin that reacts to that laser light that will harden when it's illuminated uh, another one is uh, it's uh, the term is selective laser sintering basically you have uh, metal powder or powder of some sort and you just 
literally weld powder together by illuminating it, not even illuminating it, blasting it with a laser until you've created a, you know, socket wrench or whatever it is that you've created from from this pile of metal powder. Uh, so, I mean, laser applications are all, all over the place. We, the the ones used in your Blu-ray and your DVD player that I mentioned, they illuminate a spinning disc with a laser beam, and that allows them to essentially determine the digital data that is stored on that disc, the physical bumps that represent the ones and the zeros and so forth. You can do that very quickly with a laser device. All right. So, so I, I know what everyone's thinking, and I would just have to ask the question. Do this. They do fit perfectly on sharks. <laughs> the question was, how does this apply to lightsabers, and is that possible? Okay, so until like a couple of weeks ago, I would have said absolutely not possible. Uh, but then I heard that somebody did some kind of breakthrough thing, and maybe it is possible now. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so when we're talking a true laser in its strictest form, we're talking about amplified directed light. Now, how you focus that light, how you collimate that light, I mean, that's up to you. But in general... Light doesn't stop. Uh, <laughs> what 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 you would have is, I mean, if you made a handheld cutting laser, I mean, that's what you'd have. You'd have a handheld device that projected a massively powerful cutting beam off into the void forever until it diffused to the point where it was no longer effective however far away from you that would be um, but to be able to control that safely to the point where it's a one meter long light blade uh, I, I don't know I, I don't see that happening and the other thing is the the power requirements for a handheld cutting laser would be uh, how to describe this you would have to be a very gifted engineer to come up with uh, how you're going to power that thing. Because all of the other gifted engineer nerds that have been thinking about this for years, yes, you have. I know you're out there. Um, they haven't been able to do it yet. So it's like AA or AAA? Is that more? Well, hmm. nine volt, nine volt. <laughs> yes. If you jump up to nine volt, lightsabers are possible. <laughs> Put that on the t-shirt as well. <laughs> Learn it from a layman, home of the nine volt lightsaber. Nine volt lightsaber. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. So um, now, an interesting. Uh, if we're going to talk about sci-fi, we're going to talk about sci-fi. Lightsabers have always been a problem for me because I understand that light doesn't stop. Now, a different method that was actually proposed in a different franchise was um, basically a, a spherical magnetic sheath used to contain a plume of superheated plasma. Now, if you could make a cylindrical magnetic field that could contain uh, a, a portion of plasma that you had superheated, 
yeah, I could see that happening. You could have a plasma blade that you could potentially contain with that field. Now, could you fit that into a handheld device and wave it around? Uh, would you have to have kind of two ends for that magnetic sheath? I'm not sure. But that seems a little bit more practical to me than creating a, uh, well, light that stops. I don't know. <laughs> I'm but reading you, about it you know, right now. You, uh, what? I'm reading about the the uh, you know the advancements in creating a lightsaber, and apparently it's based on optical trap technology or holograms, essentially. So it's not uh, a laser beam um, uh, per se. See, there you go. Hopes and dreams dashed. So th- this is why you tune in to learn it from a layman to learn about. Uh, well, yeah. Next time we're doing Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> hey Carl, you know what you should do is just call your friend uh Mr. Musk and ask him how he would develop the lightsaber and how that could help you blow up Mars. I was thinking about that potential as well. Um not so much the lightsaber, but <laughs> after this wonderfully scientific and, and uh useful podcast, I thought we'd end with uh you know something uh, yeah, akin to destroying another planet. Uh, it seemed appropriate. I mean, if we got the lightsabers, might as well go Death Star. Um, so that seems like that's actually more possible, right? A Death Star that shoots a very high-power laser beam to destroy a planet. Well, if you look at... I mean, somebody could do this. Somebody with more time on their hands than I have. This is the type of thing that you would find in a humorously written college physics textbook. Um, but yeah, you could lay it out. Basically, your planetary mass is going to react to energy at different levels, and the amount of, of mass in that planet is going to determine the amount of energy that you would need to cause that kind of energetic reaction. Uh, that energy amount will dictate the size of the laser that you need and when you see the size of that laser you're going to very quickly give up on it because that's dumb and no it will not work now that said uh militaries around the world are looking at using uh using laser for well not death stars but for uh defensive purposes um you know countering aircraft, drones, missiles, uh, the Missile Defense Agency in the United States, um, you know, looked at, um, they had a program called Airborne Laser some years ago, where they put a giant honking laser on a jumbo jet and flew it around and tested it out. Um, pretty cool stuff, the, the way that lasers are evolving and just becoming more and more usable in in so many different ways um when i was in uh when i was working in my undergrad the university was working on a high-powered pulsed laser uh, this is something that we didn't talk about but you in in general you have um well you have different types of lasers you have a laser with a solid constant beam that you call a continuous wave laser it's just that it's a constant beam. Um, but you can also have a pulse laser that basically fires little wads of light in, in succession. 
the advantage to a pulse laser is you can often get extremely high energy values out of it, values that you couldn't get from a continuous wave laser because it would melt your medium and your mirrors and everything around you if, if you tried to sustain that level of energy over any amount of time. But if you charge up a whole bunch of batteries or, or capacitors and you discharge them all at once into your gain medium for, for those, those fractions of a second, picoseconds, femtoseconds, or whatever, you can get a phenomenal amount of light coming out of that laser. In fact, uh, the university laser that they were building, the the duration of the burst was so short uh, that the 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 chunk of light that came out of the laser was wider in diameter than it was in length. You essentially had a pancake of light flying through the air until it whacked into something. Uh, mm. And when it whacked into something, whatever it hit was absolutely vaporized. Um, and and it's, it, they, took, they had to take safety extremely seriously. If, if your eyeball happened to get hit by that pancake of light, you were going to get permanent damage in, in a, well, in a femtosecond. Uh, <laughs> and, and so you don't do that. Don't don't look down the laser. That's the other thing to take out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> so don't create a dust star and don't yeah, and don't look laser. down the the barrel. <laughs> All right, we got it. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, you have uh, continuous wave and pulse lasers, and and you use them for different applications. It turns out you can even use lasers to cool things down, uh, and that goes more into the deep magic that I'm not sure we have a lot of time for, but. Um, we're, we're constantly finding new applications for this stuff. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll kind of leave that with that safety message. Lasers aren't supposed to be toys, except for a cat. Um, be safe with them. Never, ever, ever look down a laser. Never shoot a laser, not even the cat toy laser, at anybody or anything's eyes. That can... That Unless can you're a doctor. Nah, well, okay. The doctors should not be listening to Learn It from a Layman. Well, we have a doctor on Learn It from a Layman. That's so. very different. <laughs> so speaking to our audience, you're not a doctor. Don't fire lasers at people's eyes. Um, yeah. So unless you're an ophthalmologist that's trained to shoot lasers into people's eyes to help their diabetic retinopathy, yeah. then don't do it. <laughs> then why were you shooting a laser into my eye earlier today, Johnny? <laughs> you told me you were a doctor. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to make you go blind. Oh, okay. <laughs> he heard. He heard you had diabetic urology optomy, or plus, yeah. We should probably cut <laughs> this whole part. <laughs> Tim, if you only knew what you said, you'd be laughing really hard right now. <laughs> I specialize in not knowing what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. Well, well, now that Tim has given out the motto for our little uh, <laughs> podcast here, any, any other questions or, or no? I yeah, think I that's had, lasers. I had one more. Sorry, question. go ahead. Um, so, are there certain lasers that you can only see with 
like certain lens wear on. I, and I'm thinking like, um, like I, I know like some types of weapons can be aimed with um, like a laser light. They can be marked with a laser to hit certain areas or there's like certain scopes where you are, are shining a laser beam, but it's not visible to the naked eye and only visible through the scope. Am I yes. imagining this, or is this no? That, that's very much a real thing. Uh, as I mentioned, lasers can be anything from infrared lasers to ultraviolet lasers to X-ray lasers. Um, the ones that you see in Call of Duty, and in fact that special forces around the world do use, are going to be. I think they're infrared lasers, but yeah, it's a beam of infrared light, and you can't see it with the naked eye, but you can see it if you're wearing night vision goggles. And so you can illuminate a target in a room. You'll know exactly where your bullet's going to go. And your target won't even know that he or she is being illuminated. Um, the, the other one that we hear about in, in military terms is laser guidance. Well, that's that's kind of a different um, application. The, the laser, when we talk about laser guidance... We're talking about having a different weapon home in on a dot. Imagine that you have uh, your your strike aircraft, and your strike aircraft is loaded with cats. Now, if I point I know a laser, yeah, exactly. If I point a laser from my strike aircraft at a target on the ground, and I jettison a cat. That cat is going to see that dot on the ground, and it's going to go straight for it. And it's going to land on that dot that is on my target, and suddenly my target will have a cat on it. Because cats home in on lasers. Well, it turns out you can put a cat in a bomb, or rather you can make a bomb behave exactly like a cat. (laughs) The bomb has an optical sensor. The sensor sees that dot of laser light and says, that is the thing that I must go for, that I must hit. And it guides itself into it, and that's the end of that. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the military applications of lasers. Uh, but yeah, you absolutely can, you know, most of the time, that aircraft is not going to be illuminating its target with a visible light laser, because, I mean, who wants to have laser beams coming down from the sky giving away your position? It's going to be some other wavelength I, I don't actually know what um i don't know maybe it is visible light i don't i i'm a little out of my depth there but yeah that's kind of the theory there very interesting thank you i think that's a good motto for learn it from a layman too a little out of our depth <laughs> thank you yes quite all right well we'll we'll end there it's been a great uh interesting podcast lots of both uh practical applications of lasers and impractical applications of lasers discussed so hopefully you've uh become you know more uh, versed in this subject uh, beyond the uh impractical more towards what you could use and uh, if nothing else you know do not look in the laser beam and that you can't build a dust star so until next time, um, go uh, you know, 
listen to our uh, previous podcasts, learn more about the electromagnetic spectrum that give you more insight into this podcast as well. And we will be back again with, I believe, units of measurement next podcast. Thanks. That's that's more exciting than it sounds. So come back. (laughs) Not quite as exciting as lasers, but it's also fun. Is that also an acronym? Units of measure? Uh, yeah, by, I'm sure. I want you to come up with a really good acronym. Carl's going to come up with a very good acronym. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to hear what you have to say, Carl. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's the teaser. Come back next time.